Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Main Thing by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we just thank you. As we uh, continue the service, we ask for your grace. I ask for your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would use me as your mouthpiece this morning and that your word would not return to you void in your wonderful name. Amen. And amen. The wedding was wonderful. The bride and the groom had celebrated with family. They had moved on into the reception. The reception had gone late. There'd been many celebrations. And now everything was coming to a conclusion. And the, the bride and the groom decided that they would head off. They had a honeymoon planned, a two-week honeymoon planned, but they had a two-day layover up in the hinterland before they would take off for their honeymoon. And uh, as they're on their way, it's beginning to get darker and darker. The fog is beginning to set in and they're winding their way through the hills in a hurry to get to their accommodation. They are stuck behind a truck and uh, as they work their way to the top of a hill, the groom notices that the road straightens out before him. What he didn't notice as he comes around the truck was the car coming the other way. There's a tragic accident and the car rolls onto its roof and it slides for some distance. Both the bride and the groom are knocked out, but uh, when he comes to, he's the first to come to. He, he looks to his left and realises that his wife, his beautiful bride, is in desperate trouble. She's bleeding and is in desperate trouble. As luck would have it, as he looks around, he notices that the car has come to rest at the end of a driveway. There's a big brick fence with a brass plaque. The first two letters on that driveway are doctor. He manages to free himself from the wreck. He manages to free his bride from the wreck. He knows now what he must do as he carries his bride to the end of the very long driveway. He finally finds a house. He starts knocking and knocking and knocking. Finally, a light comes on. And an old man comes to the door doing up his robe and trying to sort out his classes. He says, young man, what is the trouble? He says, I've been in a terrible accident. He says, and my bride is bleeding and is in trouble. And I noticed you're a doctor. Can you please help us? As the doctor finishes putting on his glasses, he says, I am so, 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 so sorry. He says, I am no longer licensed. And I can't help your wife. That young man looks the doctor in the eyes and he says, Sir, he says, the way I see it, you have two choices. He says, you either start practicing medicine. He says, or you go and take down your sign. As I was thinking about that story, that story reminds me a lot about perhaps that is a message to the church today is that right on our doorsteps, you give a guy a few weeks off and time to think about stuff, then we begin to realise what is really important. Maybe we think about what is really important. And right now we have a world that is bleeding right on our doorstep. And I believe God would say to us as the body and to churches right across Australia, you either start practising medicine or you take down your sign. 
You see, we can dress up the outside of the building. We can, we can put all the fancy signs. We can paint the inside. We can get all the decorations. We can even put a cross on the roof that glows in the dark. But are we actually ministering the gospel to a dying world? What has become the main point inside of these walls? I wonder whether we've drifted. I was horrified recently uh, as I had to attend uh, uh, listening to somebody tell me what their version of the gospel was. It's all about how God loves us. It's all about how God accepts us, but never confronts our sin. Can I tell you today, God loves you. God accepts you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And can I tell you that a, a God that loves you and accepts you, but does not confront your sin is not a biblical God and it's not a biblical gospel. And I was horrified because I thought this was a problem in America, but it's on our doorstep. We're watering down the gospel. What we've actually done is we are in danger of increasingly distorting the gospel to make it palatable. Jesus never did that. Jesus never changed the gospel. I was horrified again. I I listened to American preachers and one of them got up and said, you know, we had a wonderful baptism service last week. This is the one that hit me the hardest. He said, we had a wonderful baptism service the last week. And he said, we had, they had many people. We're talking a church of 12,000, 15,000, just a couple of people turn up on Sundays. But he said, but they had many people baptized. He said, you know what? He said, the first two testimonies sounded like this. I was lost in drugs and Jesus saved me. One was lost in the occult. He said, and then testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony sounded like this. I've grown up in church all my life. And up until two weeks ago, I'd never heard the gospel. Come on, something's wrong. Amen. Something's wrong. I'll tell you why. Recently, you might be aware of uh, Hillsong drummers and guys that pretended to write books about dating that have all of a sudden deconverted. But when you scratch beneath the surface, all their Christianity amounted to was holding tightly to a whole heap of rules and regulations. There was no relationship. The gospel is not about you keeping rules and regulations. It's about you being reunited to the God of the universe. Something you can't do on your own, but something this world desperately needs. And I wonder whether we've become complacent. I'm I'm sitting on the Gold Coast and I'm from Tassie and, you know, guys, I've had people say to me, I'm going to go to Tassie, go down the East Coast and look at the beaches. Can I tell you in the name of Jesus, do not go from Queensland to Tassie for the beaches. (laughs) We have the best beaches in the world right here. And and I'm sitting at the Gold Coast. Uh, I booked a hotel uh, far too far away from the coffee shop that I like. It was about a 45-minute walk. And, and so there's only, there's only one coffee shop. Hey, listen, uh, men will walk for coffee, ladies. They, they will do almost anything for coffee. Uh, so a 45-minute walk for coffee, I was out of breath. So I thought, I'm going to sit down. I noticed something when I sat down. I'm just sitting on right under that big metal thing that says Surface Paradise near the mall there. I'm sitting there watching everybody, and it wasn't hard to pick the tourists from the locals. As the sun's rising, it was beautiful and still and wonderful. All the tourists are there with their cameras looking and, hey, look at this. And all the locals are running past without even looking at the beach. And I wonder whether as the people of God, we're like those locals. We've just been past the gospel so often. We've lost the wonderful luster that lies in the gospel. Uh, too many times I hear uh, phrases like, well, you know what? We start at the gospel, then we go on into the deep things of God. I want to be categorically clear this morning. The gospel is the deep thing of God. Absolutely. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul. Why? Because it's the power to transform your life. Transformation rests with the gospel. Uh, Paul, uh, I'm going to come to a parable. We are intentionally over the next few weeks, we are going to soak ourselves in the gospel. And I'll tell you why. We're going to lay down a straight stick and declare what the gospel is, because I can tell you now, there's some really crooked stuff out there at the moment. And I wasn't aware just how distorted some of it had become. So as a church, we're going to lay down what is the gospel. Because if there is something this community needs, it's the gospel. But uh, a little bit of a revelation this morning. If there is something we all need in this room, it's the gospel. Paul writes to a church in Corinth, writes two letters. The second one is very encouraging because what he writes in the first one is to address some severe problems. These guys had some questions for Paul and Paul had heard that they had got up to some a little bit of mischief. These guys were known for drifting into carnality. If you read the first few chapters of Corinth, they had drifted into carnality. They were squabbling amongst one another. They were taking each other to court over trivial matters. Uh, they had got lost in those sorts of things. They had drifted. They were tolerating abhorrent sinful behaviour. There was a son sleeping with his stepmother, and Paul said, if that's not bad enough, he comes to church on Sundays and you guys put your arms around him and celebrate it. These guys had become enormously irreverent when it comes to the sacraments, which was communion. That's why we have 1 Corinthians 11. Because back in those days, they used real wine. We kind of cut that out now. But they used real wine. And Paul says, some of you guys are turning up getting drunk. He said, the other of you come and eat all the bread before anybody else gets here. You have lost it. It's not about that. It's about remembering Christ. And the reason that we have uh, the blood-coloured juice and the reason we have the bread is because they are deeply symbolic. It actually matters. C.A. Spurgeon said they are like glasses by which we look into the spiritual realm. Now, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians 15, after he has answered all of their questions, they had questions about the giftings of the Holy Spirit. And he had addressed disorder in worship. Things like, you know, when there's words, only three at the most, all these sorts of things. These guys didn't swing from the rafters. These guys, they used to pitch their tent up there. These guys were flamboyant. But all of those things were symptomatic of one enormous problem. They had drifted away from the gospel. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a very profound chapter. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, now I would remind you. (laughs) Paul says, I've got to remind you about this stuff. I think we need to be reminded about the gospel. (laughs) Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I love Paul. Why? Because he didn't say a gospel. There's only one. It's the gospel. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Past tense. And so many of us apply the gospel back there. The good news of Jesus, you know, was my entrance into salvation. Now I go on to all the deep things of God. Well, Paul says, yes, the gospel by which you received, he says, but listen to what else he says. He goes on and says, in which you stand. So what he's saying to the Corinthians is, yes, the gospel applied to you. You've received the gospel. You welcomed the good news of Jesus to set you free from your sins and you can come into Christ. Yes, you received it, but it's also the profound truth in which you stand. 
And that is a wonderful word, Stan, because it's a present tense word, but also a perfect tense, which speaks about a past completed act, which has benefits in the here and now. I want to say today, before we go any further, every man, woman and child in this room is as close to God as you want to be. Because he's done all his moving. But that doesn't stop there. Paul says, I preach to you which you received, in which you stand. And this is a really profound sentence now. And he says, and by which you are being saved. I don't know about anybody else in this room. I have accepted Christ and surrendered my heart to Christ and all those sorts of things. But there are mornings I wake up and I think, Lord, you nearly have to save me all over again. I know it's only me because you guys are all holy and, and, and you guys should be wearing the robes and I, I get all that. But anybody else ever feel that you wake up in the morning and go, whoa, you know, if sin was blue, I'd be a smurf, Lord. <laughs> the gospel is fantastic news because you don't have to live at distance from God another moment. If you are in this room today and you think you don't understand, Pastor, I've run a million miles away from God. I want to tell you, you are only ever one step from God, and that is the step where you turn around. There was a, a 1900, early 1900s preacher by the name of Vance Havner, learned Vance Havner. <laughs> he was a black and white preacher, this guy. But he says that revival is actually an Old Testament word. He says the New Testament equivalent is repentance, where we turn around, let go of the world and embrace God. On which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. He goes on and says that word. This is a creed, by the way. There is strong evidence that what Paul now says was a creed that they had agreed on and had held to. I'm going to move quickly through this so we get to the next part. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. What does that mean? It means the Son of God became a man so that men could become the sons of God. Praise his wonderful name for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised. Now, that's some good news. I'm still at Easter because I had holidays at Easter, so I'm kind of still talking Easter. And on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. And so as we sit here today, we ask ourselves the question, what is the gospel? And we're going to unpack the the wonderful uh, uh, gospel. We're going to work our way through the parable of the prodigal son. I'm going to rename that before we go any further. And I was going to go through it in one go, but you know what? It's going to take us three or four weeks to get through that parable. It's so rich, so deep. It it has been called by secular poets the greatest short story ever written is the parable of the prodigal son, which is very, very interesting. But what the gospel does is it radically transforms how we view God and how we treat God. We're going to see that by the time we've finished. The gospel radically transforms how we see others and how we treat other people. But I want to lay a disclaimer out before we go any further. If we're going to work, if we're going to spend the next few weeks going through the gospel, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. It's likely to be offensive. I have found that the gospel is offensive. If you want to have all of God, but still tuck your sins away in the closet where you think nobody else can see, The gospel is very offensive. 
If you're a rule-holding, law-abiding Pharisee, the Gospels tell us it's enormously offensive. Here's how to know when you're talking to a Pharisee. They've got a problem with every other Christian. Welcome back. I love you too. (laughs) Sounds a little bit like this. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to summarize the parable really quick for you. You can go home and read it for yourself. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The first one, being a Pharisee, stood up and said, I thank you that I'm not like all these other adulterers and even this tax collector. You see, when you're talking to Pharisees, they've got problems with everybody else. (laughs) But here's what the gospel does. The gospel takes your eyes off everybody else and puts them square in the mirror. Because Jesus says there was also a tax collector who got on his knees, beat upon his chest and said, have mercy on on me, oh God. (laughs) That's a gospel impacted heart. Notice the tax collector's not looking over there going, thank you, I'm not like that Pharisee. Trims his beard and got the big phylactery and all those sorts of bells and whistles, but doesn't know you at all. I love the gospel. You see, religion, I'm not religious, by the way. I have people that I go to the gym with and other people around, they say, you know what, oh, when I know I'm a pastor, they say, oh, I'm not very religious, I'm sorry. I go, I'm not religious either. Because religion is the story of what sinful man has to do for a holy God. But the gospel is the story of what a holy God has done for sinful man. So what is this beautiful, beautiful gospel? If you've met me in Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin this morning. I want to rename this parable. They have called it the parable of the prodigal son. No, Jesus didn't call it that. But I would actually like to call it the parable of the prodigal God and his two lost sons. Because the word prodigal means to be reckless and lavish. And if there is anybody in this parable that we will see that is reckless and lavish, it is God. But you have to stay tuned next week for that. This parable comes to us as a third parable uh, in response to this verse. First one says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came... When Jesus came, the religious folk of the day rejected him, but the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, they loved him. They were all drawing near to him, verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. That's also how to know when you're talking to a Pharisee. They often grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, and he still does. So Jesus told them some parables. As we work our way through, we often, and rightly so in many ways, we often put the younger son, who is labelled as the prodigal son, we often think inside of church circles, well, that's all just, that's the people out there in the world and and that's certainly applicable. But I wonder whether, I wonder whether the prodigal son may find himself on church pews. We will learn, by the time we finish with this parable, that proximity does not equal intimacy. When we get to the oldest son, he didn't go anywhere. Just a heads up. But when we get to him, we're going to find that although he was around the father, he was just as lost and just as distant as the younger son. 
And he said, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me, give me two really important words there. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. What we're going to see this morning is, yes, the gospel transforms how we view and treat God. Yes, the gospel transforms how we view and treat other people. But really importantly, number one is the gospel must transform how we view and treat ourselves. What do I mean by that? You go out into the world today and mention the word sin. Nobody out there knows the word sin. They don't think they're sinners. The gospel has a mirror. There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said, Father, give me the share of the property. And for every Jewish male listening to Jesus right now, he's picking his jaw up off the ground because this is an enormous slap in the face. What the youngest son is saying right now is, I want life my way. I want life on my terms. I want you to give me, give me, give me. I'm going to do my own thing. What he is essentially saying to the father is, I wish you dead. We live today in a generation that is a give me generation. As parents, it's like, give me strength. No, but... (laughs) But we live in a give me generation. Uh, my, my wife's grandparents, who are in their 90s, and still look like they're in their 60s, by the way, but they're in their 90s. And they, they grew up in a generation where you didn't buy anything unless you saved for it. We live in a generation today that's got credit cards maxed out. We're mortgaged up to the eyeballs. I don't know how young people are going to pay houses off today. Where we're mortgaged off to the eyeballs, but we live in a give me society that's got to have everything now. Well, I'm here to tell you, yes, we live in a give me generation. Yes, there's, uh, that is definitely the culture that surrounds us, but it's beginning to seep and creep into the church because we even have a give me gospel. Give me, Father. Oh, I'll come to Jesus and he'll give me everything I want. Jesus didn't come to dress up this world. He came to deliver you out of it. Uh, Psalm 37, we heard this morning, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I don't know how many times I've heard that falsely quoted, but can I just ask a question surrounding that verse this morning? If God is the, if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, what's the desire of your heart? It's not a new house. And the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Augustine, if you're not acquainted with Augustine, please get acquainted with Augustine of Hippo, the founding, one of the founding fathers of our faith. But he says he took a far journey, journey into a far country. He says the far country equals forgetfulness of God. We live in a culture today that wants to forget about God. We don't want, we don't want, you know, you church people, you can sit over there and do your thing, but we don't want to hear from you guys. We don't want to hear your opinions. You, we don't want you to have your say. Can I be clear this morning, when we look at this, it says that he took a journey into a far country. If there is ever at any point in time distance between you and God, God didn't move. Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters, God still comes down in the cool of the evening. But where was Adam? Hiding in the bushes. There's people in this room that are hiding in the bushes this morning. You've got the relationship with God, but your sin's driving you into the bushes, away from his presence. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Uh, one of the books that has transformed my life over the last two or three years of the Bible is the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I have been told by many preachers, don't worry about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all full of rambling and lies and pessimism. It is profound. It's profound. Finally, someone in the Bible lifts the lid and says, you know what, the world's really like this. And when he lifts the lid, he says, you know what? Sometimes good things happen to bad people. Ever notice that? He says, sometimes bad things happen to good people. How many people are going to put their hands up this morning? Amen. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And he speaks about, all, I mean, it was Solomon, right? He puts the guy that owns Amazon, he puts him to shame for, for how much wealth he had. He had all of the resources. And he says, I had all the resources and I poured myself into pleasure. He had something like 800 wives. Why? He, uh, <laughs> right? No cats, Ross. That's for you, Liz. But what he says at the end of it is, he says, I've been on this journey. I've looked at all of this life. It's up and down. It has its, it's like a vapor. Yes, it's all of those things. But when he gets to the end, he says, this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Because he says all of that is a great blessing if you're inside of God. He goes and squanders everything that he has on reckless living. That's why it's called the prodigal. And when he had spent everything, I love these verses. If you're praying for your children, parents, expect this to begin to happen to your children. And then a severe famine arose in that country. I love how God does this. Can I tell you that God has a way of sending severe famines in our lives to dry everything up. And he he does it outside of the church and he does it inside of the church. Severe famines are when God visits us to take everything away so that we'll cast our eyes to him. I firmly believe that COVID was a tool in God's hand. I'm able today to have spiritual conversations with people I never thought I'd be able to. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, he began to be in need. If you're praying for Australia right now, pray that God shrivels up everything they delight in until they delight in him. Never have I heard a prosperous person say to me, in the, in the, at the epitome and pinnacle of my prosperity, I was as close to God as I've ever been. I've never heard that. I have heard people say in the darkest hours of my life, I knew God was right there. I've had four weeks off, 40 minutes per week, we're about two and a half hours, so I'm, I'm moving along all right. <clears throat> Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. We're about to find out what God, <laughs> better to turn to God before you get to this point, but uh, rock bottom is where this guy's about to hit. If you want another example of rock Rock bottom looks like. Ask Peter how he felt when he denied Christ three times. That was rock bottom. Peter needed, Peter needed rock bottom before Pentecost. He sent him into the field to feed pigs. Now, Jews and swine, that's, that's the lowest. They just hated pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Bringing it round the bend now, verse 17. This is my prayer for our community. This is my prayer for the lost people of Brisbane. 
I encourage you to pray this for you, perhaps your sons and daughters that have drifted away. I think as a church, globally, we've lost sight of the main thing, which is the gospel. Statistics reveal that 75% of young people that grow up in the church between the age of 20 and 25 will leave the church. I think we need to change some stuff. But when he came to himself, that's a powerful, powerful sentence. When the prodigal son came to himself, I pray that this city would come to themselves and realise that they are a long way from God and they don't have to be. I pray I come to myself each and every day. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but perish here, but I perish here with hunger. Today, I don't know what brings you here this morning, but if you're at distance from God, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I've loved Jesus for many years, but I'm not as close to God. I've allowed myself to drift. I've lost sight of the gospel. I want to tell you the gospel does not allow you to love Jesus with one hand and hate the person on the other side of the room with the other. Doesn't allow you to do that. Doesn't allow you to put your arm around Jesus, but hold your nose at the same time. Doesn't allow you to do that. Doesn't allow the gospel, the wonderful truth of the gospel, doesn't allow you to, to have all of God and all of your pet sins as well. But you don't have to stay a distance from God. Have a listen as we, as we work our way through Today, you might be saying, well, what do I do? What do I have to do today if I want to be closer to God? Let's see what the young son does. Next week, we look at the father. That's going to be awesome. To unpack the father heart of God. Can I tell you, I could sum next week up with one sentence. We live under friendly skies. God God is not a belligerent old man up there with a stick looking to knock you over the head every time you do something wrong. If that was the case, I'd be knocked out. However, everybody said amen. Step one is verse 17. He came to himself. There was an awakening. How I pray that there would be an awakening in each and every one of our hearts. He came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. First step is awakening. The second is repentance. If there is one thing that is missing, I believe, from our lives as individuals, if you want to experience personal revival, get on your knees and repent. Allow God to open your heart. Allow him to do surgery and all of those attitudes you're holding on to. Allow him to cut away all of those sins you got tucked away in the background. Awakening, repentance, I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. Step three is honesty. When was the last time... You just got on your knees and you were honest with God. Told him how you really felt. The Psalms is a book of prayer. And there are prayers in there where David is saying, I exalt thee. And there are prayers in there that say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you let my enemies triumph over me? For I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Listen to the humility. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But I love this. 
The son says, and he, the, the word says, and he arose and came to his father. What is stopping you today? What is stopping you today from arising and coming to your father? As I close this morning, I'm reminded of the story of two frogs that are seated on the edge of the riverbank. First frog turns to the second frog and he says, I've decided to jump. Can anybody tell me how many frogs are left on the bank? Two. I told you he decided to jump, not that he jumped. Let me ask you two questions that I often ask. If there was one thing you could put down out of your life today that would bring you closer to God, what is it? And what's stopping you putting it down? If there was one thing you could pick up today that you knew that if I started doing this, I'd be closer to God, what is that one thing and what's stopping you? As I said before, if you make space for God, he will fill it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you. I thank you for the wonderful, rich, blessed truth that we find in the gospel. May we never forget it. May you continue to remind us. And I pray for every person in this room that we would resolve, I will go to my Father. I thank you that when we make that decision, you're standing there with arms wide open. Father, as we conclude this meeting, I entrust every person in this room in your hands, but I entrust Liz into your hands. We love her and we trust you that you will keep her and guide the medical staff as they examine her. We thank you for this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.